The Life and Stories of Callum Knightworthy, Archival Assistant at the Magnus Institute, London. Begin recording. <coughs> right. I was on a uh, medical leave a lot longer than I expected to be. Mr. Sims sought it fitting that I take a bit longer. But I'm back. <laughs> and of course I have a statement to read. These never seem to end. Right. Statement of Molly Buford regarding a month-long New Year's Eve party. Original statement given February 10th, 2000. Statement recorded by Callum Knightworthy, archival assistant at the Magnus Institute, London. Statement begins. If you ask someone what their favourite holiday was, I'd assume you'd get an answer like Christmas or Halloween. Or if you ask an American like me, you might even get an answer like the 4th of July or Thanksgiving. But for me, I'd have to say New Year's Eve is by far my favourite holiday. Partying past midnight, celebrating the end of the year and the start of a new year simultaneously. It's an incredible experience that sadly not a lot of people appreciate. I don't understand why people don't appreciate New Year's as much as they should. I mean, it's not like people are guaranteed to see the start of a new year every year anyway. It's not like I think that idea is a depressing one, though. I could be on my deathbed the night before December 31st and, you know, I'd be celebrating like I'm going to see New Year's anyway. I did feel like that, and I still do. I just... I have a few trepidations about wasting time now. I may not care if I live or die, but other people, though. None of us are guaranteed tomorrow. I'd hate to imagine anyone dying with regrets. That sounds like the worst possible way to go. Like, imagine the world was ending and everyone's last thought was, Oh man, I never went skydiving or finally took that hike through the woods or asked my crush out on a dream date. If only I had more time. Even though they don't have any more time. No one would have any more time. No one would be left to care after everyone is gone. I would hope no one would be left to care. Sorry, I probably sound like I'm rambling. Long story short, New Year's is my favourite holiday, and you can only imagine how excited I was for both the turn of the century and the new millennium. Not everyone gets to live to see one of those, let alone both, so who wouldn't be excited to witness that? I certainly was. I'm a transfer student from the University of Manchester, and currently working on a degree in anthropology or some form of cultural and historical study. I've always loved studying other cultures and how they change. I love viewing little windows into the past, seeing the lives of people I'll never know and thinking about how they live their lives and what mattered to them most. Basically every known culture has some sort of holiday, annual or otherwise, and so many of them have some form of New Year's tradition. Thing is though, not all cultures use the same calendar, and as a result, there are more New Year's days than people realise. Most people know the Gregorian New Year, or the Chinese New Year, but there's not a lot of people who know about Rosh Hashanah, for example. 
But whatever New Year's holiday is being celebrated, it's being celebrated for basically the same reason as any other. People love to usher in the new holiday with a bang. I'm one of those people who usher it in big time. I remember back in 1998 planning a block party in the, back in the States for months to celebrate the coming of 1999. Months of prep for one night of celebrating and it was beyond worth it. I didn't care that night if I even woke up to see the new year begin. I was happy with where I was. If I went out that night, I went out with the biggest bang I could imagine. And it was one I helped create. That was one of two New Year's parties. I remember blasting the song 1999 on repeat. I wish the second one went that well. Last year, I spent quite a bit of time during the summer months planning and planning and planning to outdo myself with an even bigger and more bombastic party for both the turn of the century and new upcoming millennium. It was bold, it was crazy, and this time it was going to be here, in Britain. Over the coming months, I spent whatever free time I had gathering what I needed to make this celebration a reality, including outside help. I decided it'd be for the best if I kept the party localised to the university area and inform anyone living in nearby so they'd be less likely to give a noise complaint if something got out of hand. The biggest part of this celebration was setting up the stage where all throughout the night I'd have bands from the greater UK area play throughout the party. Booking bands was easier than I thought. But the problem I didn't expect as much was how much of a pain it would be to get the stage set up. I didn't get permission to even begin until November rolled around, and I had to scramble a bit to get the team together. Less than two months to find a building crew familiar with lights and sound systems who could work in a reasonable price on top of juggling other prep work and my own personal problems were becoming quickly stressful, and I decided to hand some of the other details of the party planning over to my friend of mine, Justine Cho. There's some... Parts of this I know she'll be able to verify if you need. Anyway, with that weight off my shoulders, I set to work finding a crew to help with the stage. I wouldn't need them until December, but I needed to get it set up before Christmas time, otherwise I'd have no help at all. I thought that I'd have more trouble finding a reasonably priced but efficient service. In hindsight, I think I should have been more suspicious of the lack of trouble I had when hiring Massex. But I was getting desperate as the days dwindled. I needed that stage. I needed to outdo my past self and her celebration limitations. When I first found the advertisement for Massex, I remember my first thought being something about how weird of a name that was for an average senior building crew. And then I read their slogan. Massex. Masterful, experienced. Our crew will blow your mind. The text on the advertisement was bold and modern. I say it like that because, well, it was certainly modern for the late 90s. I feel like whatever designer they hired for this had been watching the movie Hackers a bit too much when they made this ad. Still, I decided to check them out. Their ad listed some of their price rates and reviews from former clients. Their prices were astonishingly within my range and their past clientele were giving them mostly positive feedback. I decided to check the few average or less than positive reviews to see if they brought up their own major issues. Most of them just brought up minor complaints that weren't really an issue to me. One of them was even just a troll saying that I should only be checking the positive ones if I wanted to know about this business. I never thought someone would be that invested in the public image of a building crew. 
There was one specific review that got my attention, though. It was posted back in 1996 by one Misael DLR68. I can't find the website again, and my memory of the review itself is a bit hazy, but I remember it being long, a gigantic block of text, something more akin to an angry and scathing rant rather than a review. I also distinctly remember something about all of the trash left behind by the crew when the workday was over. I wasn't one who really cared much about clean-up. I could handle that just fine, I, I thought I could. Over the first two weeks of December, the building crew was in and out under mine and faculty supervision while they set up the stage. The first few days went off without a hitch, no major problems to be found. Then, one of the crewmates, uh, a man I think was named Charlie or Carl or something like that, didn't show up. This became a pattern as the two weeks dwindled in time. With this lack of attendance from Charlie, we were down with a lights guy. I was beginning to freak out when the first week ended and Charlie or whoever he was hadn't returned. His fellow builders said something about him having had a freak accident, but I wasn't sure. If they'd been informed Charlie was in an accident of some form, I'd thought they'd be a little more concerned. But they all seemed to just brush it off. Time trickled by, Charlie was nowhere to be found, and soon I only had five days before Christmas break. I was about to slip my lid. But then one of the builders informed me that he'd be able to work the lights fine. I think he said his name was Victor? I think? Maybe it was Oscar. Either way, I gratefully accepted his offer, and simultaneously asked him why he hadn't told me earlier. I don't exactly remember what he said in response. Something about unexpected and important changes. Made no sense to me, but whatever. I kind of wish I'd paid more mind to what he said. Break passed by rather quickly. Thankfully, we got the lights and stage set up before it began. By the time December 31st rolled around, I thought I'd got every problem sorted. The party began at 7.30pm with a purposeful, slow build in order to increase audience energy naturally as the night progressed. Everything was going well, aside from a few students worrying about someone attempting to spike people's drinks. But no one seemed to be acting noticeably odd. So I told some faculty to be aware of any students who appeared to be under the influence and make sure people were keeping their drinks protected. I myself wasn't drinking anything aside from water. I kept its lid sealed shut all night, and I was moving so much that no one had been able to slip anything into it, so I know I wasn't on drugs when things started getting weird. The first thing that got me concerned happened around 11.30. It wasn't anything major, probably, but I remember it pretty well. The light system flickered a bit, and suddenly the speakers had a strange, echoey sound to them. The band performing didn't seem to notice, nor did any of the party-goers. The band sounded quiet, distant, like someone had unnoticeably placed cotton over the speakers. I remember my ears were left ringing from the sudden change in volume. I looked around a bit to see if anyone else had noticed, and that's when I saw them. I saw the builders sneaking backstage. I'd paid them about a week ago. And as far as I know, they had no further reason to be working on the set. I became very confused. Then, just as suddenly as it started, 
the muffled noises returned to normal and the builders were nowhere to be seen. I had no clue what to make of this for a while until it was getting close to midnight. The band had decided to do a cover of 1999 as the last song they'd play before the year, decade, century and millennium ended. They were around halfway through the third verse when the lights and sound suddenly shut off. Everyone noticed this time. I heard complaining moans from all over the courtyard. It was rather dark outside, but enough people were wearing luminescent bands and glowing glow sticks that I was able to make my way over to the stage. We had a generator backstage that we were using to power the light and sound system for the band, and I, when I remembered seeing the buildings go backstage, I had an increasingly mounting suspicion that they'd been messing with it. I think I was right, looking back on it. I also think they wanted me to check on the generator. I don't know why else they would have been there. And I don't know how or why else I would have seen what I did. I couldn't have seen it. I couldn't have. While I was unsuccessfully trying to fix the generator, I suddenly became aware of how silent everything was backstage. Sure, it was isolated, but it wasn't soundproof. And there were enough people outside that I should have been able to hear them, even if it was faint. I put a pause on fixing the generator just to take a peek outside, and I just about fell to my knees. Everything was in shambles. Horrid catastrophic shambles. Parts of the stage outside had collapsed with metal bars and supporting spotlights being bent out to shape in ways I thought were only possible under extreme heat. The parts of the school I could see were all wrong. None of the remaining walls had windows anymore. I I'd assumed they'd all been covered by brickwork, which now seemed to melt and flow like molten plastic. There was trash everywhere. Not like if you stepped into a landfill or looked at an alleyway overflowing with dumpsters. No, this trash was melded together in strange piles. I saw warped and twisted bottles stacking against misshapen metal scrap, molten pieces of glass tossed amid branches of fabric and cardboard. Electrical wiring splaying across the courtyard between these various trash bag heaps like silly string. The courtyard itself fared better than the rooms around it is what parts of it didn't show sickly yellow grass instead showed something worse. I saw people. Students, faculty, even some of the members of the bands I'd hired for the celebration. They were all dead. I hope they were dead. If they weren't, I don't want to think about what pain they were in. To feel their limp bodies slowly bubble in liquefy before sinking into the earth, their skin blistering with cancerous growths under the pale orangey sky, their faces frozen in excruciating expressions of agony. I wanted to run to them. I wanted to, so badly, but what could I do? Everything was ruined. All I could do was stare at what remained of everything. My tears felt like acid on my skin. It's surprising to me that they weren't actually melting the flesh off my face as I looked amongst the rubble. All of its jagged, contorted remains of a place I called my home. I noticed movement. I almost thought some students may have been trapped behind those collapsed walls.
I wish I was that lucky. It wasn't my fellow students trying to break through the liquefying bricks and metal scrap. I don't even know what it was that was breaking through, but whatever it was, it shambled about like an injured alley cat. It wasn't human at all, and it wasn't even pretending to be. I watched as it shuffled about the remains of the courtyard, grabbing a random scrap and tossing it aside or shoving it into what I could only assume was it mouth, was it mouth, was it what? Was its mouth, and then carelessly undulating across the bodies of my friends. I remember at one point, it picked something up without instantly eating or tossing it. It was hard to tell, but I think it was a glow stick, though it had long since lost its glow completely. It was at that moment I realised what it, it had gotten, that I noticed it was facing me. I think it was, anyway. It's hard to tell when a creature doesn't have anything that could possibly pass for a face or a head. Whatever limb was holding the trashed glow stick began to shudder when the creature saw me. It began to open its mouth. I instinctively covered my ears and ran backstage, not even caring if it dared to follow me. I just clamped my hands over my ears, hid myself behind some of the instrument cases backstage, closed my eyes and cried. Through my hands, I faintly heard a noise I know I will never hear again. I don't know if it was coming from the creature. I don't think I'll ever know. But I doubt something is huge inhuman as that thing could possibly know how to speak English. We all die. Every day. You are out of time. That's what I think it was saying. My sobs were almost drowning it out completely. I still wonder if that creature was the one speaking. It couldn't have been. There's no way one creature can speak with the voices of everyone I've ever known. One of the voices cut through the crowd, though. It was Charlie. He was weeping. <laughs> I still can't believe I was there for a whole month. A whole month. What a way to start the new year, eh? Statement ends. Miss Buford was indeed declared missing on January 7th, 2000, and she was found February 2nd, 2000, unconscious inside an instrument case in an abandoned warehouse in some of the rural areas outside London. She's declined our offers to elaborate on any possible further experiences she may have had since this occurred, stating she has moved on but also stating she doesn't care much to think about when the world might have moved on. Unsurprisingly, nobody in the area remembers that warehouse being there, nor did they think of any building company that would have been working out of that warehouse. Even still, the last company registered as having operated in that warehouse was a large meatpacking plant, which closed its doors in that specific facility in the early 90s. There was no business license for a company named Mass X. Not before the statement occurred and not after. 
we may have been able to get a list of some of the former employees of the meatpacking company that previously owned the warehouse. None of them really stick out aside from one. One of the first hires at the facility was a man named Charlie Sierra. He was found dead in one of the old cold storage containers only a few months after he was hired. Four more employees at the facility have gone on record saying that Sierra's death was some, something along the lines of the first link in a chain of horrible freak accidents that eventually led to the closing of that facility, including two more deaths and multiple injuries, all of which resulted in lawsuits regard towards the parent company Mike and Papa's Deli Co., which eventually filed for bankruptcy in January 2005. End recording. Supplemental. Freak accidents, rapid changes, running out of time, the end of everything human and the rise of something else. I think I've heard people in the archives talk about something along those lines once. I can't remember exactly though. Freak accidents and rapid changes are something I'm beginning to grow used to by now. Not sure if that's a good thing, given the circumstances of what I've been dealing with. If Aster were here right now, I'd ask for his thoughts on it. But he's not. So I can't. This is tiresome. <laughs> and I frankly wish I could be in the one in a month long coma right now. It was probably a tasteless comment. My apologies to whoever's listening. I just want to be anywhere but here right now. End recording. Today's episode, I'm proud to say, is a fan-submitted work. Our statement today was created by DG Toti. Thank you for submitting your statement through our email at calumnightworthy at gmail.com. All statements submitted by fans will be tied into the canon of this series, and they are all very much appreciated. Stay scary, everyone, and I'll see you in your next episode. Let this statement begin. Calumnite with the Recording is a fan-made podcast based on the Magnus Archives by Rusty Quill. All opinions, ideas, and stories shared are that of my own and should not reflect the opinions of Rusty Quill LTD or their associates. This podcast is licensed under Creative Commons share-alike non-commercial license. We're running low on statement ideas. So pop over to Gmail or wherever you email from and send us a statement. Calumnightworthy at gmail.com. We're always welcoming new scares. Thank you for listening. And face your fears. Goodbye.